So we're going to continue this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I titled the message this morning, Death is Swallowed Up in Victory. Our death is swallowed up in victory, and our victory, as we know, is in Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, this life is like a vapor, is like a mist. It is so short, and I've said so many times, the older we get, the faster it seems to go. But you know, we must look beyond this mortal life. We must look at that which is to come because this life is so short. We should keep our eyes focused on that life, that eternal life that we will enjoy with Him. Amen? Alright, we're going to go ahead and begin. We're going to begin with chapter 15, verse 33. It sounds like a, a long uh, reading that I have, clean through verse 58, but just... I'm going to take my time and read it and let these words penetrate deep into your heart and your mind and listen to them. I don't want to read it so quickly. I want to give you time to let it soak in. Do not be deceived. Evil, evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You know, Paul... We'll let you have it. We discussed that Wednesday night whenever Paul was uh, addressing the church of Philippi. He'll let you have it. He'll just give you the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. He says, I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases, and, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial body, bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is the one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Let that sink in a moment. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, so friends, these bodies, this flesh and blood that we have, as we have right now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody say Amen or Hallelujah. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Father, we praise You and magnify You, for You are the God that created all things. And Father, You created each one for its specific place in, in creation. And Father, we just thank You that, uh, for the amazingness of Your creation. And Lord, we just thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank You that we read Your Word and we know and believe that it's true that we can have victory over death. Father, that we can look to that eternal life when we would put off this corruption and take incorruption, Father God. We thank You for that. Thank You that we are made whole, that we are made righteous through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we invite Your Spirit into this place, into our hearts today. And Father, that You would lead us and guide us for Your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that was a lot, but it's like, what could I possibly have left out of it, right? We have to hear it all, know it all. Praise be to God. Thanks be to God. Because we can have victory. Death is not the end. We can have victory over death. Amen. You know, the first verse might seem a little bit out of place. Because, the, you know, I split chapter 15 up into two, two parts, as you know. And the first part was also talking about the resurrection. Because there were those that were saying there was no resurrection at all. So Paul was addressing that. And then here in the middle of it, then as we read on, he's addressing the resurrection again and what kind of bodies we will have. But in the middle of that, he says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Is that a little out of place? Not really. No, it's not. Because they were keeping company with those who were trying to convince them that there was no resurrection. They were keeping company with those who were kind of saying, well, if there's a resurrection, what kind of body it is. They were keeping company with those who were trying to instill doubt. Trying to get them to doubt their faith, doubt that there was going to be the victory over death. So they were keeping company with these kind of people. So he has some pretty strong words. Those that take the Word of God and twist it around and try to make it say something that it's not are evil. That's what he said. That's what he calls them. You are keeping company with evil people. Do not keep company with evil people. Evil corrupts good habits. In life, evil corrupts good habits. Who here likes, you'll probably figure out where I'm going with this as soon as I say it. Who here likes a good, fresh, crisp apple? 
Most everybody. I don't eat quite as many apples as I used to, but I used to always make sure I had an apple every day. They are so delicious. As a matter of fact, many of them even have the word delicious in their name, right? Red delicious, golden delicious, and so on. I love a good crisp apple. They are so delicious. Now, you can make wonderful apple pies out of them. You can make apple juice out of them. Or you can just grab a good apple, crisp apple, and bite into it, and it's so good. It's delicious. Now, most people have probably heard, you know, an apple a day keeps a doctor away, right? Maybe some of these younger people haven't. You ever heard that? You have, really. It's still out there. Okay, amazing. All right, how about this one then? Have you heard one bad apple spoils the whole bunch? You've heard that too? All right, I can't believe it. I didn't know that that was, saying was still out there. I thought maybe just us old folks knew that. So one bad apple does spoil the whole bunch. But you know what? Apples are really a unique fruit. If you take, put apples into a cool place and just the right atmosphere, they will stay good and crisp and fresh for a month or even more, right? They will. They'll last a long, long time. But here's the thing. If you put a bunch, a bag of apples in the refrigerator and there's one apple in the middle of that bag that has a bad spot on it that's turning rotten, what's going to happen? It's going to ruin, ruin the whole bunch because where that apple touches the other apples, it's just going to spread. And then you leave it in there a month with one bad apple, you're going to have a bag of mush at the end of that month because it's rubbing shoulders with that bad apple, right? So what happens when we rub shoulders with those bad apples? They rub off on us. As much as you would like to think that your faith is so strong that you would never be influenced by the evil, when you hang around those that are evil, it could tend to rub off on you. If they have bad vulgar language, bad manners, it's a good chance that those evil habits are going to rub off on you instead of the other way around. Right? You might begin to use that same language. You might begin to tease or treat people the same way they are. And I was going to say, young people, choose your friends wisely. But I decided to change that. Everybody, choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends wisely. Who you're going to hang out with. Who you're going to choose as your close friends. Now I know, we can't be completely out of the company of evil. We'd have to go out of this world, wouldn't we? But it's who we choose to hang with, who we choose to be our close-knit friends and our ones that we want to be with all the time. Choose them wisely. Remember, Paul was addressing the church here. There could even be times we must guard against the evil influence within the church, right? Times when someone may come in and try to bring in an untruth, try to cause division within the church, right? So we must guard against that. There might be some that bring a message in to try to get you to doubt your faith, to doubt in something that you previously believed as true. That's what was going on here. The believers in Corinth were keeping company with those that tried to convince them there was no resurrection or tries to cause doubt about what kind of body are you going to have? They're trying to instill doubt, trying to get people to question their faith, trying to get people to question the truth. Who is the father of lies? Satan. Satan. Who's going to bring in division and doubt and try to get you to 
question your faith? Satan. So they doubted something that they had previously accepted as true. They previously believed in the resurrection, just had accepted it as, by faith, and now they're doubting. Now they're asking questions. This reveals how powerful influence can be in our lives. As believers, we can and should be an influence for the truth. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can and should be the light of righteousness. President Woodrow Wilson told this story. He said, I was in a very common place. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. Think about that. Every word that this man uttered showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. So he showed a personal interest in the barber. Do we do that in our lives? Do we show a personal interest in those that God places in our paths? I hope we do. He says, And before I got through with what was being done for me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in that chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had upon that barber shop. They didn't know his name, but they knew that something had elevated their thoughts, and I felt that as I left that place, I, as I should have left a place of worship. My admiration and esteem for Mr. Moody became very deep indeed that day. Do we have that kind of influence upon others? We can and we should, right? We can have the same kind of influence as Dale Moody had in that barbershop. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 through 17, says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. Diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other we are the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from yeah, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. How humbling. My friends, do you know what a diffuser is? I didn't know it a few years back. My wife bought, bought this thing and she placed it on the headboard of the, well, however big it is. And she, it's plugged into electric and she puts these drops of fragrant, fragrance in there. I can't say it. Oil. She puts essential oils in that. And it diffuses this odor out over me. And I'm like, wow, what is that? <laughs> but that's the, what we are to be diffusers. Friends, it is a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. We are to be diffusers of Christ. What are you laughing at? Sometimes it gags me. It's like, what, is, what flavor is that? <laughs> but she likes it. It's supposed to help. It must work because I sleep good. 
But we are to be diffusers of Christ's fragrance. You know, when the children of Israel gave their sacrifices, it was that aroma, was it not? Yes. It was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. So whenever we are diffusers of Christ, forgiveness and His love, we are diffusing a sweet-smelling aroma to God. I know I probably didn't get all that just right, but made you laugh. But anyway. <laughs> uh, so let's change gears here. The Corinthians were warned in verse 34 to awake to righteousness and not sin. They not only needed to put their guard up against deception and be vigilant and awake, which here means to be sober and aroused from a state of drunken stupor. Drunken stupor. So he told them, awaken. They are called to shake off the delusion that they had succumbed to. It's not that complicated, is it? Wake up, live right, and do not sin. It's pretty straightforward, right? That's what we're called to do. Wake up, live right, do not sin. Straightforward. I said it's straightforward, but I didn't say it was easy, did I? It's not easy. You know, Paul understood the difficulty of it. He understood how difficult it was to always do the right thing. In Romans 7, 14 through 17, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. Can we, can we agree with Paul? The law's good. It's spiritual. It is very good. The trouble is with me, brothers and sisters. I am the trouble. For I am all too human. Wow. You know, I look highly to Paul. I, I esteem Paul. But he says, I'm all too human a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. We ever struggled with that? Wanting to do what is right, but doing the wrong thing anyway? I am all too human. We are. But praise be to God, we are saved by His grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let that not be an excuse to sin. Still need to try to do what is right. Awake to righteousness. I believe verse 35, we can find the heart of why Paul went into such great description of all the different kinds of flesh and life. But some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? So that's the heart of all these descriptions of all the different flesh. This is a genuine concern. What kind of body will we have in the heavenly kingdom? It's a legitimate question. It seems one to have more questions than answers, does it not? Will we require sleep? There's not going to be no night there. Will we require sleep? Will, we're going to answer some of these questions today. Will we need to eat? Will we have great, amazing strength? Will we have great power? Will we be able to walk through closed doors as Jesus did? Will we have amazing knowledge? Will we have to work? Will we have the opportunity to play and pleasure? 
There's a reason Paul goes into such great length to describe all the immense variety and differences in God's creation. He says, All flesh is not the same, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another flesh of fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. My friends, the greatness of our God is evident in His creation. The greatness of our God is evident in His creation, in His design of each and every living thing. Can a fish live out of water? If we take a fish and throw it up onto the beach, what's going to happen? Why? Because it's designed to live in the water. So if I take a man and take him out into the midst of the ocean and cast him in there, can he live? He may live as long as his oxygen tanks have oxygen in them, right? For a short time. But he cannot live there because he is not designed to live there. Right? Because God designed man to walk upon the earth with these two feet and two legs and have hands and arms and move about the earth and breathe, right? Because that's what God has designed us to do. Each and every creature is designed to live in the environment in which God has placed it. The celestial beings in the spiritual world and the man in the natural world. The sun has its place perfectly designed and set in the place that God has for it. The moon has its place perfectly designed and doing what God has designed it to do, right? Each part designed and doing what it is meant to do in God's creation. His perfect plan. His greatness. But man, messed up, right? Fell away from God's perfect design, perfect plan. And we sin. And because of that, we will die. Hebrews 9, 27, 28. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Whenever we plant a seed in the ground, does it come up and look just like what we planted in the ground? No. If we take a flower seed, a little tiny seed, it pretty well, it looks dead, right? Dried up, dead little thing. But if we plant it in the ground and give it a little bit of water and gets a little bit of sunshine, it's going to grow into a beautiful flower, right? Look at the silkworm. Whenever it decides it's no longer time to be confined to the mulberry tree, it will get sprout wings and have the pleasure of roaming through the regions of the air, correct? The Scripture gives us some insight as to what our resurrected bodies are going to be like. That's what the question here is about today. What is our resurrected bodies going to look like? What are they going to be like? Philippians 3, 20, 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. So these bodies will be transformed. They will be different from what they are right now. 
1 Corinthians revealed a little bit about what that's going to be. What our transformed, lowly mortal bodies will be like. For this corruptible body, and it's corruptible. I, I'm not saying you're an you're evil, wicked sinner, but this body is corruptible. It's affected by corruption. It's going to corrupt, it's going to decay, and it will one day pass away, die and be gone. So it must put on incorruption that it would no longer die, correct? This mortal must put on immortality to be able to live for eternity. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? So I want to go back and look at Luke to look at Jesus' resurrected body. Now, there was a day after Jesus' resurrection and the disciples were all gathered in the room and I know that you've all have read this story and Jesus, there was two of Jesus' believers walking on the road and He appeared to them but He blinded their eyes. They didn't realize it was Him as He walked along with them. And they said later that their hearts burned within them while they was walking. But then He revealed Himself to them and took off. So these two, man, they scurry back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples, we've seen the Lord. He is resurrected. He is he's alive. We have seen Him with our own eyes. And while they are there telling Him, telling them about seeing Jesus, is where I want to pick up. Luke 24, 36-43. Now as they said these things, so the two that Jesus appeared to, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Alright, so there's the first cue. We, have, we will have flesh and bones, right? Because we will be like Him. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, He said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave Him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And He took it and ate in their presence. So there's the answer to the one question. Will we eat? Did Jesus eat? We shall eat. Broiled fish and honeycomb. My friends, there were no knock at the door. There was no knock at the door. Jesus just suddenly appeared in their presence. Anybody remember Star Trek and Beam Me Up, Scotty? Well, that's not what it's going to be. He doesn't need the Star Trek ship and that funny looking thing that happens and you just appear somewhere else. He just appeared there. He wanted to be there and He was there. That's the amazing power and ability of God and the Holy Spirit. Do we need to know exactly how it happened? No, but it happened. We shall be like Him. We wouldn't have to be in that truck and that long journey. We could just be there, right? We won't, have, we won't need airplanes. If we need to go over there and see Abraham, we'll be there. If we need to go over there and talk to Moses, We'll be there. We want to go talk to Jesus. That's who I want to talk to. We'll be there. Amen? 
another important revelation concerning the resurrection and what these bodies will be like. We have what, you know, we will eat in heaven. We will be immortal. Verse 49 said, And as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. So we will eat. We will have flesh and bones. We will be able to go wherever we are to go. Because it says we will bear His image. Those who are His at His coming will bear the image of His resurrected body. Will you receive that? Do you believe that? That's what we have to look forward to. That's the main purpose to understanding how God has designed each created thing to be perfectly suited for its place in creation. It's that we can trust. As I said, God created the stars and He put them right where they needed to be. He created the sun and it's doing what He created it to do. He created the fish to live in the ocean. These heavenly bodies distrust that they will be how He needs them to be. Don't question. Don't doubt. There are some answers. We'll have flesh and bones. We'll eat. We'll do these things. But we will not be, praise the Lord, exactly like this. Because these are corrupted bodies. They are mortal. They will be immortal bodies. Perfectly suited for what He has in store for us for eternity. I want to jump back to the importance of influence. When the resurrection happens, we can all rejoice at the fact that there will be no more pain, there will be no more tears, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more death. But if you let the fact settle into your innermost thoughts, that there will be no more evil influence. I can say hallelujah to that. There will be no more evil influence. That is worth rejoicing about. My friends, where did death come from? Sin, because of the evil influence of Satan, right? Death came from sin. Man's choice to disobey God because of Satan's evil influence upon man. There will be no more evil influence. Hallelujah. That excites me. That's one of the greatest things about heaven. Satan's going to be bound. He's going to be cast into that pit. No more to influence mankind. There's going to be no jealousy. There's going to be no hatred. There's going to be no greed. There's going to be no lust. Because He's going to be bound. We need to remind Him of that. Amen. I am a child of God. Death is swallowed up in victory. We can say, O oh death, where is your sting? It's gone because Jesus Christ has set me free. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. When you plant a seed, it is dead, but it is raised, immortal. What a great and glorious day that will be whenever Christ comes back at that last trumpet sound. You know, there's a song that the newsboys sang, I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. I believe they wrote that song for Billy Graham. I believe in the resurrection. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in eternal life? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? If you do, you need to believe in the resurrection. 
because we shall have eternal life and we believe and trust in Him. Amen?